as The Money Burns is an original podcast by Nikki Woodard. Based on historical research, this is a deep exploration into what happened to a set of actual heirs and heiresses to some of America's most famous fortunes when the Great Depression hit. Each episode has three primary sections. Section 1 is a narrative story. Section 2 goes deeper into the historical facts. Section 3 focuses on contemporary, emotional, and personal connections. Story Recap Barbara Hutton enjoys the limelight after bowing at Buckingham Palace, but a gift to a favored cousin leads to a triple homicide decades later. Now back to As the Money Burns. So rich. The richest girl travels around the world and gets invited to all the fabulous parties. So with such a glamorous life, why does she seem perpetually unhappy? Section 1. Story. New York Central Park Casino serves as another famous happening elite spot. The Gothic Revival stone structure provides nightclub entertainment and dining at a high price for those who gain admission. Thematically decorated for the October 1931 evenings, papier-mâché pumpkins and cornstalks among autumn leaves surround guests who never go near plebeian cornfields. People whisper the richest girl is amongst them. Is that actually her sitting over there? Is she everything they expected? On one side, a young lady sparkles as she is decked out in more jewels than a Tiffany's window display. Her dress and manners all beg for more attention. If you got it, why not flaunt it? Though the circumstances of the ongoing economic downturn has started to wear some down and think a little more discreetly. And yet, rumors endlessly persist. Fantastical details that sound like fairy tales fueled further by the darkness of the Great Depression. She eats her morning oatmeal out of a gold bowl encrusted with jewels and drinks orange juice from an amethyst goblet while served by a footman in satin breeches. Her color coordination so finely tuned that her bathrobes match the tint of her bathwater. She selects her outfits from a wardrobe catalog made with colored photographs. She is glorious and fabulous and uber ultra beyond comprehension wealthy. Doris Duke was always a name in the press, ever since her birth not two weeks after Barbara Hutton. Doris's father, Buck Duke, delighted when the newspapers indicated his baby girl was richer than the Woolworth heiress. After that, Doris would occasionally show up in the paper, but only sporadically. A travel here, a court case there. She did, after all, sue her own mother and win over dispute regarding the estate's properties. That is... Until a year ago, she bowed at Buckingham Palace in May 1930, then followed by her debutante ball in Newport in August 1930. And then an explosion of attention. The world's richest girl photographed and noted everywhere she goes. Other details continuously reported, seven automobiles, four estates, including a 2,600-acre estate in New Jersey, and, of course, millions upon millions in the bank account. Though the reported amounts vary and only in speculation, ironically, most are way under the real numbers. And now everyone knows who she is. This year alone, her travels documented. New York, Paris, Bulgaria, who keeps track? Seemingly more than she desires. 
She is photographed with a friend in London while getting into a car. She has been to balls and events like the Royal Ascot and Wimbledon. Hints of rumors are percolating that 37-year-old Bachelor Prince of Wales might even be considering a proposal in the near future. Not so into the prince, there is another more ardent admirer ever lurking about, already divorced Jimmy Cromwell, whose wealthy mother, Eva Stotesbury, and her friend, Hope Diamond owner, Evelyn Walsh McLean, continuously plot a marital match with the blonde heiress. It is all so glamorous. Thankfully, Doris did escape the clutches of one marital arrangement. The now-married Huntington Hartford is off the list. His marriage to future kindergarten teacher and daughter of a West Virginia dentist, Mary Lee Epling, has gladly filled the vacant spot. Still, Doris is mentioned when scandal around Hunt broke out in September. At the Saratoga Springs polo matches in September, Doris is accompanied and photographed with Alan Hudson. At least those captions remark at her stunning beauty, so distant from the earlier comments of her ill-fitting hand-me-down clothes. The awkward ugly duckling has finally become a swan. The truth, Doris prefers to run around in overalls, work in the garden, and has numerous interests outside the rigid protocol society mandates. She prefers outdoor sports and would love to be known more as a regular, fun-loving girl than a fancy and privileged heiress, and worse, like a legendary princess. Instead of a prince coming to a rescue, she fears the fortune hunter. That friend in the London photo is none other than Doris's mother, Nanaling Duke. The Society reporter Charlie Knickerbocker relays the antidote as flattery to the petite, stylish mother, who must be in her 60s by now, but for a 19-year-old heiress, should nowhere near be considered a friend or companion. And that is one thing money can't buy. True friendship. Oh, how Doris longs for that more than anything. And to confuse her mother as her friend? The mother who vilely hates her? The one Doris sued and won against at 14 in a court to prevent the selling of the large New Jersey estate, so loved by Doris as an attachment to her beloved deceased father, Buck Duke. Over at the Duke Farms, Doris enjoys mixing with the help far too much. Nanaline has caught on more than one occasion hints of her daughter's attraction to not only help, but people of color. Aware of the Duke's family penchant and open-mindedness, Nanaline fears her daughter will soon destroy any chance at a viable societal match. Thus, Nanaline feverishly keeps Doris flittering about Europe and other elite hotspots to find more suitable mates. Now, Doris returns to the United States for more required social activities. All the same debutante gatherings like the upcoming Tuxedo Ball, the Met season opening, and other events. All with various eligible men some try to discuss stocks with her. Some offer financial advice. Others request advice. Others have absolutely no clue. Once in a while, someone doesn't seem to recognize her. Then the utter shock and horror when she gives her name, the light bulbs go on. At least this evening, she is surrounded by more age-appropriate companions. Central Park Casino is a place where many come to be seen and flaunt their stuff. A handsome young man walks about bringing his female companion a drink. He is Foster Blakely, the debonair son of actress, socialite, and soprano star Grace Hyde. He glides past the sparkly young Tiffany lady who quickly deflates as he moves past her for another slender tall lady sitting demurely in a black lace dress with a simple pearl necklace and bracelet and hands her the drink. The richest girl in the world, a moniker which plagues the simple one the one who is none other than Doris Duke. 
Her simple fashion style belies the epitome of the new Parisian chic. Tonight, Doris is paired with a tall and handsome Dave Coddington Jr. from a family with links back to colonial settlers in England. As the sparkly Tiffany girl's face drops at recognition, Foster quips to their group. She could have at least paid for better fakes. That costume jewelry fools no one. They laugh. Doris sits there at the table listening as the others talk. The chatter, none too entertaining. She feigns a smile, fluffs her napkin. Doris does light up when discussing one subject related to her deep passion of music. Out of all things, Doris has seemed to take a recent liking for the dance style known as clogging. Foster encourages the topic. With his theatrical star mother, he has plenty to add. Both young men, with their brothers William Coddington and James Blakely, are frequent guests of Barbara Hutton. Attractive and agreeable men get invited everywhere. With all the goings-on, one would think Doris is having the time of her life. And yet, she is quoted in the press sounding more like a wet rag. Never a chance to be more than a name, more than a moniker. Richest girl in the world isn't what it is cracked up to be. Doris never learns well how to get along with others. What Doris wishes for is one true friend. And what Doris fears is that all her gold is a curse that will prevent her from ever finding a happily ever after. Section 2, History and Historiography. In my research for 1931, the following quotes have suddenly and prolifically appear in relation to Doris Duke. When people know who you are, the prices usually go up twice as high to start with, and people who have money wouldn't have it long if they did not ask how much things cost and then refused to buy half of them. It's no fun to be so rich. Those two quotes by Doris Duke appear regularly in her biography and used throughout her life. I'm not quite sure when they first appeared. However, they have become prevalent in 1931. I mean, really prevalent, like over 60 or more newspapers. Suddenly and randomly, they appear as one-off quotes and occasionally with minor sarcastic commentary as to how others are willing to prove her wrong or help her solve her problem. Here and there, a quote will appear within the columns of Charlie Knickerbocker and Nancy Randolph discussing Doris and society pages or other articles and features. Still, these direct quotes have never been given with exacting specifics like time, place, or to whom. Though that might not really be all too important, as they are seemingly her life mottos. She likely repeated them or similar sayings throughout her life. However, with the surge in prevalence of these quotes, I surmise it had to be said at least around this time after her debut, as that is when she became a fixture and topic of conversation, thus the documentation. The one quote related to shopping is tied to articles on her in August 1931 Paris. Pre-debut, there are occasional mentions of her whereabouts or status as if she is traveling or like Jakey Astor suffering a bout of illness. Mostly distant observations relayed as relatively simple facts with some small commentary only by outside observers or witnesses. Only now, Doris Duke, Barbara Hutton, and others are of marital age and have become a focus of attention for being ultra-wealthy during the contrasting, abysmal economic times. 
So they are the original media celebrities. In time, celebrities will shift more to actors and actresses as the rise in film and movies become the cheap, de facto popular entertainment easily available to the masses. Shirley Temple debuts at age three in 1931, signs a contract in 1932 for Baby Burlesque, and achieves international fame in the 1933 film Bright Eyes. Temple will be the major number one box office draw and darling from 1934 to 1938, making 29 pictures between age three to 10. The cheap and highly accessible films accompanied with newsreels will shift the attention of the public. There will always be a fascination with wealth and privilege, and even more so in economic hard times when envy and greed ramp up in relation to desperation. In the meantime, the newspapers cover a lot about the comings and goings of the elites, no matter the derivation of their status. Originally, New York's elite restaurant-turned-nightclub, the Central Park Casino, is established in 1864 as the Ladies' Refreshment Salon as a restaurant for unaccompanied women visiting the city. Immediately, the wooden chalet is rebuilt as a Gothic revival stone structure near 72nd Street. The term casino comes from the Italian term for a little house and not a gambling structure as it is more commonly used in modern vernacular. Upon opening, the Central Park Casino soon became popular for both women and men, but fell into disrepair by the 1920s. It would undergo renovations from 1921 to 1922. By the late 1920s, New York Mayor Jimmy Walker is said to have frequented the establishment more than City Hall. In February 1929, the Central Park Casino is turned into a nightclub, though during Prohibition, meaning liquor, was still forbidden. Those renovations were supervised by theatrical designer and architect Joseph Urban, the same man responsible for the moonlit garden transformation of the Ritz-Carlton for Barbara Hutton's debutante ball. Criticism and scrutiny of the nightclub comes due to the use of public lands, while the Central Park Casino charged high admission prices, essentially causing exclusive entrance requirements. Several police raids would occur there until the casino closed in 1936. Another recent topic of interest in the newspapers has been Grace Reopold Blakely Hyde. A year earlier, she divorced on the grounds of complications of incompatibility. The complications and incompatibility seems to be her husband's affairs with other women. The 1930 divorce granted after photographic evidence exposed her second husband, capitalist and New York and Palm Beach resident, William Hyde, spotted with another woman at the Hotel McAllister in Miami. Grace's son, Foster Blakely, identifies his stepfather in the photograph, and Grace is awarded the temporary alimony of $1,000 a month, the equivalent of $19,500 in 2022. Grace was previously widowed during World War I when her husband, Englishman and actor Lieutenant James Blakely, died during a bombing raid of London's Gaiety Theater. They have two sons, James Blakely and Foster Blakely, around 21 and 20 years old in 1931. Grace is a soprano star and is proclaimed to be one of the most beautiful women on the stage. She performs in Europe where she spent a large time on the continent. Upon returning to the States during widowhood, she performs in the homes of E.F. Hutton and Marjorie Merriweather Post, Jesse Woolworth Donahue, and Mrs. William Hayward, the mother of millionaire Phil Plant and stepmother to theatrical agent Leland Hayward. Grace meets her second husband and remarries in 1916. As her divorce is granted in 1930, Grace announces her boredom with society and signs a contract to sing the lead role in the Ziegfeld Follies production of Ming Toy. After several years, Ming Toy production never makes it to Broadway. It will, however, be made into a short film in 1936 with an Asian actor-actress, actual father-daughter team of Filipino descent, J. 
Joe Paggio and his daughter Margie Paggio, who went by the stage name Ho Shi and was referred as the Chinese Betty Hutton, no relation to Barbara. Otherwise, for such productions, the cast would have been yellowface, which was considered acceptable back then. In addition to the Broadway role, Grace also agrees to a weekly Wednesday performance on CBS Radio for William Bill Paley. In the near future of 1932, William Hyde will petition to reduce alimony, claiming his funds are not as ample as they had been and felt unlikely to recover with the Great Depression. Grace will fight his claims as bogus. Mr. Hyde is not the only person undone by a photograph at this time. Ex-Dry Czar, the former New Jersey Prohibition Administrator Adrian G. Chamberlain, poses for a boudoir photo in his underwear with a pink chemise-clad cousin, Mrs. Madeline Jacoby. During the Jacoby divorce trial, two women admitted to peeking in on Mrs. Jacoby's bedroom and blushing at the sight. Mr. Chamberlain had previously resigned his post in 1926 after $50 million bootleg scandal when cargoes of hooch were brought in to Weehawken under the connivance of city officials. Ah, the power of a photograph is only beginning to make its way into the public and as evidence. The rules of the game are changing, and we know exactly how far they might go. And this, all before social media ever became a thing. Section 3, Contemporary and Personal Relevance. Today is the 93rd anniversary of the Wall Street Crash, which occurred on October 29, 1929. But it took over two years for the darker years of the Great Depression to really take hold, with 1932 considered the worst year of all. That same year, a special investigation will be launched to determine the causes of the crash. That day and the events thereafter had a global impact which lingered for many years and even decades later. So many parallels with what we are going through now in our present circumstances. As winter draws near, we have warnings of pending food and energy shortages. The last couple of years has seen a major disruption in supply chains that ripple to the present day. Earlier this year, 2022, there has been the baby formula shortage. I'm not sure where we're at on that overall by October. And who knows where everything will lead to more disasters later. Europe will definitely suffer during the winter months due to the additional issues of the war between Russia and Ukraine. For those who were previously diligent and are lucky enough to make investments are seeing easily a 30% decrease in value for the time being. It is easy to get overwhelmed when being hit from all directions, and even if one has been good and cautious, over two and a half years of economic issues with the pandemic will surely make a dent in anyone's financial concerns. With all the dark and bleak information, it is only natural to wish for better times. This week, the Powerball lottery has reached $800 million. It really makes one wonder what it would be like to be so rich. Who cares about fun? Right now, it's more about survival. Frauds and scams are increasing. We have yet to hear all the Ponzi schemes and other issues that are being exposed. And like the Hydra in Greek mythology, as one falls, it gets replaced by several more. Bastards, what do they care? All they want is money for their own selfish needs. I'm sorry, I will never openly approve of theft, no matter the target nor method. I don't care who does it. I can sympathize with many plights, 
but the sympathy absolutely stops when it comes to damaging others. Already in these tales, I have alluded to ongoing scams that will surface more later. A Ponzi scheme is in the midst. Can you guess by whom? Hint, they have a big financial position. As well, a future jewel thief has now entered the story. However, the biggest ensnarements will occur with the heart. In that, at least two are in direct play to quickly expand at three, with surely more to abound in one manner or another. Out of our main heirs and heiresses, the current ongoing scams within the story will lead to one withdrawing, another vulnerable to a second but inadvertently rescued, a third will be endlessly a victim throughout life, and a fourth yet to be one of the worst cases of abuse in the 1970s and 80s era. A fifth related but the actual victim is not currently in the story will be one of the more sensational public cases in later life around 2008. Plenty of tales to tell, so stay tuned. Good news, my two webinars on the Waldorf Astoria Hotels are returning to New York Adventure Club, Part 1 on Thursday, December 1st, 2022, and Part 2 on Thursday, December 8th, 2022, at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Web links will soon be available at www.nyadventureclub.com and the News and Events section at asthemoneyburns.com. The fee is $10 with one week access after. If you enjoy As The Money Burns, then please share, like, and subscribe. Next, when we return to As The Money Burns, their fortune might be gone, but one couple dances the night away while planning to rebuild another. Until then. As The Money Burns is an original podcast written, produced, and voiced by Nikki Woodard based on historical research. Archival music has been provided by Past Perfect Vintage Music. Check out their website at www.pastperfect.com. Please come visit us at As The Money Burns via GoodPods, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Transcripts, timeline, episode guide, and character bios are available at asthemoneyburns.com.